Tonight's reading from the New Testament is from Colossians 3, verses 23 to 25. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. My name is Sam. I'm one of the ministry interns here at Grace Downtown. And I have the privilege of sharing God's word with you tonight. Um, It's so good to see all you guys here during Labor Day weekend, especially some of the college students. Seems like you guys all came back. I missed you guys. You know, so glad to see you guys. Um, Can we open up in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are, for bestowing your grace upon us each and every day. And Father, we ask that you will give us new mercies, just as you promised again today. Uh, Be with us, O Lord, as we dive into your word to understand what work is and, and how it intersects with our faith. Father, I pray that you will open up our hearts and our ears, that we will receive your words this day with joy and with gladness. Help us to see the glories of the gospel once again. Be with us, O Lord. We thank you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As I mentioned, my name is Sam. I'm a ministry intern here at Grace Downtown, and I was asked to speak a little bit about faith and work. It's a ministry, actually, that, that I lead here at Grace Downtown, so if you guys are any, if you guys are interested in joining or uh, coming to any of our, our programs, um, this is a shameless plug for you to come, and, and I'm nudging you to, to be interested in coming out. Um, but I have the privilege this evening to share with you a little bit about the intersection of faith and work, and this is a topic that is very near and dear to, to my heart because this is something that I've struggled with a lot. You know, what does it mean to be a Christian in the marketplace or in the workplace, and I wasn't really sure exactly what that looked like and what that entailed. Am I just supposed to go to work and be very quiet and just do a good job and just smile just so that I can rush home to go to small group and do ministry then? You know, or do I try to evangelize to everybody in my workplace? Is that why God sent me to these different companies that I work at? Or this is the best one. Am I supposed to pray in front of everyone just before I eat my meal? You know, that's a, that's a fun one, right? You all go to the cafe and like, hold up, you guys. I need to pray for my meal. Just so everyone knows that I'm a Christian, so that can, that can open up opportunities for me to share my faith. And these are just some of the questions that were swirling through my mind. And it got even more compounded when I graduated from college because I was thinking about going to ministry. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to because of my financial situation. And so I went into work, and, and I always struggled with this idea of, of how I bring my faith to work and what that looks like. Timothy Kellner's book wrote, In Every Good Endeavor, he said, Work was a part of God's perfect design for human life because we were made in God's image. And part of God's glory and happiness is that he works. Work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, and sexuality. It is not simply medicine, but food for our soul. Without meaningful work, we sense significant inner loss and emptiness. People who are cut off from work because of physical or other reasons quickly discover how much they need work to thrive emotionally, physically, and spiritually. 
And so this is what Keller talks about work. It's something that we need to do. You know, I used to always think that work was a curse. You know, but even before the fall, God ordained work to be in place. In many ways, I think the way we need to view work is is to invite the Lord in our work. It's a very strange idea. Tom Nelson, in his book, um, Work Matters, he talks about this idea of worshiping while we work. He says this, he says, so often we think of worship as something we do on Sunday and work as something we do on Monday. However, this dichotomy is not what God designed nor what he desires for our lives. God designed work to have both a vertical and horizontal dimension. We work to the glory of God and for the furtherance of the common good. On Sunday, we say we go to worship and on Monday, we say we go to work. But our language reveals our foggy theological thinking that our work has been designed by God to be an act of worship is often missed in the frenzied pace of a compartmentalized modern life. One more quote from another theologian, and I I lean on these people to to gain their expertise as I was trying to understand this, 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 this idea of faith and work. But this one author, David Miller, says this. He says, whether conscious or unintended, the pulpit all too frequently sends the signal that work in the church matters but work in the world does not. It is perhaps no surprise then that workers, business people, and other professionals often feel unsupported by the Sunday church in their Monday marketplace vocations. You know, my hope today is to kind of unpack that a bit for we can understand what does it mean for us as Christians to, to work. And I want to use this passage, Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 uh, to 25, to really understand what that looks like. And really what I want to focus on, and I looked at the sermon title, I actually called it The, the Purpose of Work. Probably a better title would have been Work Unto the Lord. Um, but that's okay. You know, The Purpose of Work and Work Unto the Lord. It's kind of similar, right? But we're going to cover three things today. The first thing is, how do I work heartily unto the Lord? How do I do that? Number two, why should I work heartily unto the Lord? Right? So how do I work? Why should I work? And lastly, what do I gain? when I work heartily unto the Lord. So if you ever get lost in anything that I'm saying, just those three points is what I'm going to be making. And I do reserve the right to make other subpoints as I go along because it will, it will happen. But for the most part, those are the three things. How do I work heartily unto the Lord? Why should I work heartily unto the Lord? And why do, what do I gain when I work heartily unto the Lord? For, so for the first question, how do I work heartily unto the Lord? Well, our passage tells us here in verse 23, whatever you do, it says whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. In the NIV, it, it clarifies it just a little bit. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for humans, human masters. Right, so, so the scriptures are telling us to, to work harder, which means to work with our entire heart. Well, what does it mean to work with your entire heart? Right, it's to put your passion behind it. It's to do the work well. You know, and actually, if you look at this, this passage, if you look a couple of verses before, it actually clarifies a little bit about what it means to work heartily to the, to the, to the Lord. It says that we should not serve by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with the sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Right? So not, not by way of eye service, not as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. And this is one of the key things that we have to understand when it comes to serving the Lord wholeheartedly. Now, you may ask, that's great, Sam, but what does that look like tangibly every day? 
and I will point you to the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, Some people ask Jesus, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus responds, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And he said that the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And for us to work heartily unto the Lord is not to be, it's to only keep God in mind. And as we keep God in mind, as we love him, the way we express that is to love our neighbors. Now, I'm sure when you think about work, when you don't do work well, someone else has to fix it. You're not loving your neighbor. I can tell you how many times I've been in that situation where I've done really bad work and someone else had to fix it. I remember when I was in in college, I was thinking, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life just like every other college student. What is God's will for my life? You know, I was thinking about marketing, and then my marketing professor was like, that's a bad idea, Sam. You're not going to get a job after you graduate. I was like, that's a good idea. Maybe I should. He said, you should look into finance and accounting. So I said, okay. Um, and I did. I looked into finance. It was too hard. Then I looked at accounting. I was like, sure, why not, right? So I, um, you know, me being wise and smart, because I think I'm wise in my own eyes, but me being wise, I was like, you know what? If I'm going to give this accounting thing a shot, I should probably do an accounting internship, right? That, that would make sense. And so I remember I, uh, I took a, an accounting position at a law firm, and I was working in the, in the accounting office. And uh, it was probably the most boringest job I have ever done in my entire life. So back then, right, back then, back then when I was working in this accounting department, we had this very outdated accounting system. And the way they did invoicing was they had to print it. And the, the, the receipt or the invoice didn't always match what was in the system. So guess what I had to do? I had to go and check it, you know, and um, they had hundreds of clients. Every month, it would just, we would just go through the invoicing all the time, and um, I wouldn't come into work the freshest, right? Like, I would sleep really late, and then be like half asleep the entire time, and so I would always drink coffee and just looking at the screen, and after a while, the, the, the numbers on the screen and the numbers on the paper just all tend to look the same, and, you know, I tried to do a good job but I, I didn't. It wasn't a couple years later that I realized that the, my supervisor would stay later in the office. And I was like, why are you working so hard? Don't do that. You know, just go home and enjoy your life. And, and she's like, no, I need to work harder. I didn't realize this, but the reason why she would go home late was because she had to check my work because she didn't trust me, you know, because I kept making mistakes. And because of that, because I didn't take my work seriously and because I didn't work heartily unto the Lord, I wasn't loving my neighbor you know, and this is, this is what it looks like for us to, to work heartily unto the Lord. It's to keep that second commandment in mind, which is to love, uh, to love our neighbors just like ourselves. One theologian says this. He says, one of the primary ways we tangibly love our neighbors is to do excellent, God-honoring work in our various vocations. When we look at our work through a proper biblical lens, we can see vocations, a close connection with loving our neighbor. Your vocational work is your specific and invaluable contribution to God's ongoing creation and an essential aspect of God's great commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. Martin Luther reminds us that it is not God who needs our good works. It is our neighbor who needs our good works. A transforming truth we must firmly grab onto is very much at work in our work. You know, friends, this is what God calls us to do when we work heartily unto the Lord, it's to do a good job 
and to do it well. Because when we do those things, we love our neighbor. You know, when we look at the idea of work, sometimes we don't always think, you know, when I was in college and I was working this accounting internship, I would just always think, you know, I don't, I don't want to look at the screen and match the invoice. I want to do something bigger and greater. I want to change the world. You know, I want to do ministry. You know, but I think sometimes we often forget that Christ himself did a vocation before becoming a minister in many ways. He was a carpenter, was he not? In Mark 6, chapter 2 to 3, we see that when Jesus was teaching and just about when he was starting his ministry, in the earlier part of his ministry, he was teaching and and people in the synagogue were, were shocked. They said, where did this man get these things? What is his wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? You see, even Jesus was working. When he was the Savior of the world and he was going to die for, for all of us, he was a carpenter first. This is a little bit of a longer excerpt, but I think it's, it's so relevant for us to listen to it, so I apologize about its length, but when I was reading it, it just impacted me so much, and I thought I would share it with you all. But this author writes, and he says, here was the Son of God sent to earth on a redemptive mission of seeking and saving the lost, of proclaiming the gospel, yet he spent the vast majority of his years on earth making things in an obscure carpenter shop. We know from Luke's gospel, and even at the age of 12, Jesus was demonstrating his amazing rabbinical brilliance to the brightest and best in Jerusalem. How did Jesus' brilliance fit in with a carpentry career? At first glance, this doesn't seem to be very strategic use of Son of God's extraordinary gifts or his important messianic mission. Why was it the Father's will for Jesus to spend so much time in the carpentry shop instead of gracing the Palestinian countryside, proclaiming the gospel, and healing the multitudes? The New Testament records Jesus spending only about three years in itinerant ministry, what we might refer to as full-time vocational ministry, but for many years before that, Jesus worked as a carpenter. When we contemplate who Jesus really is, his joyful contentment to work with his hands day after day, constructing things, making useful farm implements and and household furniture in an obscure Nazareth carpentry shop, we find him truly stunning. Jesus' work life tells us that he did not think about, I think being a carpenter was somehow below him or a poor use of his gifts. Here is the very one whose hand not only created the world, but also the very wood he was crafting in a carpentry shop. This writer goes on and he says, think about it for a moment. The very one who was the master craftsman of the universe spent a great deal of time during his 33 years on earth crafting things with his hands. The one who had masterfully fashioned humans from the dust of the earth was making chairs for people to sit in their houses. It is all too easy for us to overlook the fact that Jesus knew what it meant to get up and go to work every day. Jesus experienced both exhilaration and exhaustion of putting in a hard day's work. This is our Savior, friends. He worked heartily unto the Lord. And so how do we work heartily unto the Lord? We love our neighbors. And the way we love our neighbors is to do good work. So why should I work heartily unto the Lord? How? We talked about how, but why? Why should I? And, and there's three subpoints that I want to make. The second point, right? So you think about it, you know, 2A, 2B, 2C. 
And I think when we think about why we should work harder unto the Lord, I think the simple answer is here. It's because Christ did it himself. You know, we were created in the image of God. And we see, we see that even God rested, so we should also rest. You know, and when we work with our whole heart, we work heartily because as we work heartily, we become like him. And so the three points I want to talk about, you know, in this, in this section is, you know, when we, when we work heartily, the reason why we work heartily to the Lord is because first it helps us to pursue after righteousness. You know, what we have to understand is that the things that we do externally shapes us internally. We like to think that we are two distinct people or, or three distinct people or four distinct people bound by one body. And what I mean by that is sometimes we like to separate our lives by having a spiritual life, a professional life, a personal life, a family life. We have so many different types of lives that we think that we're so many different people, but we have to be reminded that we're one person in many different environments. And I don't think we always fully realize that what we do throughout the week impacts the way we walk with the Lord. You know, I I put a little reflection here for you um, written by Tom Nelson. It's uh, in his book, Work Matters, Connecting Sunday Worship to Monday work, and he said something very profound. He says, when we think about work, our tendency is to reflect on how we as free moral agents shape our work. Yet we must not overlook how the work we do profoundly forms us as individuals within a community. The work we do affects the contours of our thinking. It develops our competencies and contributes to our manner of feeling and well-being in the world. We shape our work, and our work shapes us. I mean, is it not true that when things at work get a little stressful, we tend to be a little short with the people we love? Is it not true that when we are at work in it, when we work in an environment where people are mean-spirited and nasty, we tend to lash out and get defensive with the people around us? Or is it not true that when we start to cut corners in certain areas of our life or even in our jobs, we try to cut corners in all the areas of our life? You see, work shapes us on a daily basis, and I don't think we always fully realize it. You know, why should we work heartily unto the Lord? It's because it helps us to become righteous. You know, a couple years back, I remember speaking at a, I was giving a talk at a a college campus, and I had this one young student come up to me, and uh, she was asking me for some advice. And she was in a bit of a predicament. She was getting ready to apply for dental school, um, but she was in a financial crunch. Her parents couldn't support her, and so she had to get a part-time job. And she had to get a job so that she can pay for her dental applications. The problem with the job that she was applying for, and she was getting ready to, to sign the offer and say yes, was they asked her for a certain period of time. It was about a year. And she couldn't devote a year because if she devoted a year, then she would have to push her uh, acceptance to dental school back. And so she asked me, what should I do? Should I just lie and say that I can commit? And when the time comes, just say, hey, I have to go and go to dental school. Or should I tell them the truth and risk the chance of me or having to push my dental school back? And it's a a tough decision to make. And she was asking me, (laughs) what should I do? And it was, it was a little tough for me to answer because I understood her predicament that she was in. She was justifying herself. She said, well, if I, if I lie and I become a dentist and I make good money, that's a good offering, right? Good ties to the church. God, doesn't God forgive, you know, if we lie? 
And yes, God does forgive. You know, but when we enter into those situations where we think it doesn't matter, it, it does matter. Right? Because when you plant those seeds of lying or manipulating others, right, that starts to become a habit. Right? And when those things become a habit, they become who you are. You know, think about your work life every day. There's opportunities for us to do the righteous thing, the God-glorifying thing. And they're hard. I'm not saying it's always easy. It's difficult. You know, but when you plant those seeds of, of lying and manipulation, when you, when you do those small things over and over again, they become habitual, do they not? And when they become habitual, they become who you are. And I can think about some men who, who use women for their own pleasure. You know, they start to look at women as, as objects just to satisfy their own needs. And once again, if you plant those thoughts, if you plant those seeds within your heart, they start to become habits. And as they become habits, they become who you are. You know, what's so tremendous and so glorious about the gospel is that we can break those habits, amen? It's, it's because of Christ that we can go to him and seek for forgiveness. That's the power of the gospel in our work. The second point, we work heartily unto the Lord because it helps us become like Christ. And, and as we become like Christ, we start to understand that God's in control of all things. What I really want to talk about is rest. Even God rested on the seventh day. And I'm not going to get too much into this because, you know, if I were to talk about Sabbath, that's an entire sermon all to itself. And I just don't have the time today, so I'm going to talk about it very quickly. And I just want to highlight some points. You know, sometimes we feel like it's all up to us. You know, sometimes we feel like we have to do it on our own. You know, but when we become more like Christ, we understand that it's not up to us. It's God's in control. God is sovereign. And this is why we need to rest. For some of us, we're, we may be in a position where rest is very hard to come by. You know, recently I met up with a friend a really good friend of mine. I was the best man at his wedding. And uh, he, was, he was a new dad. He has two kids. Um, he was moving into a new home. He was serving his church. And he was just burnt out. You know, and I don't know exactly what his situation is like, but I, I get it to a certain point. He wants to be the best colleague. He wants to be the best husband. He wants to be the best father. He wants to be the best worship leader at his church. And he was just getting tired. And I remember we were sitting, we were just conversing. But you, you ever get into that situation where you're like, talking with someone and they're there but they're not really there you know you're like having coffee and they're they're in front of you but they're not really there they're not in that moment with you and i remember i didn't mean to be rude but i was like hey hey buddy i'm here i'm here and he was like yeah i'm sorry i'm just i just been really tired you know the advice that i give is well you need to rest (laughs) obviously right he's like i can't it's so hard there's, he never has an off day, and, and I applaud some of the, the parents here. You have to work, and you have to take care of your kids. I mean, it's just, it's constant. And so we were praying through that, and we were discussing through that, and I, and I was telling him, I was like, you know, brother, you know, the most important thing when it comes to rest is you need to, you need to worship, right? Because that's what rest really is. It's, it's to worship. It's to, it's to behold something great. It's because when you behold something great and you worship something, that's the first time where that moment where you don't think about yourself, you just think about what's in front of you. I think that's why TV is so appealing to people, right? You watch TV and it's, it's something that you can watch. You can, you can behold it and you observe it. And sometimes when you watch too much TV, you don't feel, you know, you feel restless. 
You don't feel restful. You know, so I told him, I was like, brother, maybe on Sundays you need to take your worship service that much more seriously. You know, it was, I didn't tell him to pray more or to read his Bible. I was like, you know, just come into church and just tune in and just pray a little prayer and, 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 and behold God and just worship him. Right, because that's when rest really comes for us as the believers, is it not? And I always think about when I climb a mountain, I don't, I don't climb a mountain, climb a large hill after hiking, <laughs> right, I don't climb a mountain, or even go to a tall building. You know, it's so peaceful when you just see and behold, isn't it? And I think it's because that's the first time we just don't focus on ourselves, we focus on what's before us. And to find true rest, that's what we must do with our Savior. That is what we must do. Continuing on, thirdly, we work heartily unto the Lord because it helps us to become like Christ. How? It's because we give him glory. But when you use your gifts, you're giving glory to God. You're saying, God, thank you for the gifts that you've given me. And you don't squander it, but you use it for his glory. And I think of my, my, my nephew. I have a nephew. Um, I'm going to say his name. His name is JJ because um, he's probably never going to listen to this sermon. Um, and JJ is, I mean, he's, he's my nephew, but I, I just love him to death, right? And JJ, whatever he wants, uncle gets for him, right? So whatever he wants, he gets it. You know, if he wants McDonald's, I don't care what mom says, we're getting McDonald's, you know? Um, if he wants French fries, he's getting French fries. And so when he's about three or, or, or four years old, I remember he was really into this toy called Tayo. And so it's like this Korean cartoon. And I think it's now in America, but... It's called Tayo, and uh, I was going to Korea to, to visit my grandmother, and my sister was like, hey, JJ really likes Tayo. You should buy him some toys. So I was like, okay, I will buy him some toys. And so me, being the uncle that I am, I don't buy him just one. I buy him, like, the whole set, right? So I, I bought him a suitcase full of Tayo toys, and uh, I wanted to play a joke on him, right? Because he's used to, I don't just give him one thing. I give him, like, all of it, right? So I, I um, decided just to give him a little dinky, just one Tayo toy. And I remember I gave it to him. He looked at it. He goes, where's the rest of it? <laughs> I was like, you're a spoiled kid, you know? And it's probably my fault. And, and, and he, like, looked at it, and he was like, what am I supposed to do with this? And he wasn't playing with it, and that kind of hurt me a little bit, you know? And so I was like, I'm just joking, JJ. And so I bring the suitcase, and I open it up, and he, it's like, he, his eyes just get all wide. And he's like, oh, my gosh. And then so he starts to pick it up and plays with all these toys. And in many ways, like, as he was playing with it, I, I felt like he was honoring me. Because the gifts that I'd given, given him, he was using it, and he was enjoying it. You know, when we use our gifts for the service of others, friends, we are glorifying God. And that is what we must remember. Coming to a close, and my last point, well, Sam, what do I gain when I work heartily unto the Lord? Well, this passage talks about this here. It says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. In the last, in verse 24, it says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You see, friends, when you work heartily unto the Lord, understanding that it builds righteousness, understanding that you can worship him truly, you know, understanding that, um, that you're giving him glory in the, in the gifts that you have, what we gain is, is, is we gain this inheritance. You see, when we work, it never goes to waste. And even when I was, I think about those days when I was an accounting intern, plugging, you know, fixing those invoices, the Lord was teaching me patience. And it's within my heart that he was shaping me to be more diligent, 
to taking even the menial task to be something more, so much more important. You see, friends, this is the great gift that we have as believers. That all the work that we engage in, no matter how mundane it may seem, God is still using it to work us, to give glory to his name. You know, I remember this, the, the movie Up, Up in the Air with George Clooney. And maybe you guys are familiar with this, with this movie. But in this movie, George Clooney is like traveling all over the, the country. He's not tethered by anything. And he seems to be very carefree. He seems to have a great career. Things are going well for him. And there's a point at the end of the movie where he finally gets to 10 million miles. And the captain announces on the intercom, like, you know, he got 10 million miles. Welcome to the club. And the character just seems so empty. As if he worked all his life to get this gold card, or excuse me, this silver card, to say that he achieved 10 million miles. And the movie just starts to break and just seems very empty. But see, friends, as believers, as we work heartily unto the Lord, the works that we do now will continue into eternity. And it's such an amazing gift for us to consider. And even when we don't, we're always reminded that God is still at work within us. I'm reminded of that passage in Romans 8, 28, when the Apostle Paul writes that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Friends, we have a great Father, we have a great Savior who is there working in our, in our, in our favor. Coming to a close, Keller says this in his book, Every Good Endeavor. God could have named everything on his own, and yet he commissions Adam to name the animals. God could have cultivated the earth, but he commissions Adam to cultivate the earth. God invites us to continue his work of developing creation, to developing a civilization that glorifies him. Through our work, we bring order out of chaos, create new entities, exploit the patterns of creation, and interweave the human community. So whether splicing a gene or doing brain surgery or collecting the rubbish or painting a picture, our work further develops, maintains, or repairs the fabrics of this world. In this way, we connect our work to God's work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, O Lord, for your goodness and your grace once again. We thank you, O Lord, for doing the great work on the cross and allowing us to continually work as, as eternity is our inheritance. Father, we pray that you will be with us throughout this week and remind us constantly of the grace that you bestowed upon us. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.